you can call it compounded grief. These sometimes small losses to major losses, if we're not able to process them, talk about them, and the feelings that come up around them, they start to pile up and it feels like a weight. We just start to feel bogged down. Welcome to Live Well and Thrive, a podcast recognizing the hard work dedication and diversity of our team at Kaiser Permanente Northern California. I'm your host, Carrie Owen Fleets, and I am so excited for this conversation. We are living an overwhelming time. So how can we stay ready, keep our spirits from sinking? And I could not have asked for two better guests to join me today. Today's guests know a thing or two about our spirit. First, I'd like to introduce Reverend Jürgen Schwing, who is the Director of Spiritual Care at Kaiser Permanente's Diablo Service Area, and he has been with us for 22 years. Welcome to Live Well and Thrive. It's so great to have you. Thank you, Carrie. So great to be here with you. Jürgen, can you paint a picture of what you saw among our hospital staff when the pandemic first struck? The word that comes to mind is emotional roller coaster ride. When that virus first hit and we didn't fully understand it, what it means, how it works, how dangerous it is, I think our team, which is awesome, did what they always do. They pulled together, they acted with courage and determination to serve the patients in the best way that they could, even with this deadly virus. But we also struggled, and I know that people were exhausted, and I saw them have real fear about what that virus could do to their patients and to them. I saw some people struggle deeply. I saw some emotional breakdowns. I saw people crying, and our peers and our spiritual care team comforting and supporting them to help them keep going. I remember our patients sometimes talked about what the healthcare team meant to them. And I talked to this one patient who said, I know I have COVID and I just hope I don't give it to anybody of these wonderful nurses and doctors who are helping me. Some other patients were angry and our staff often were the target of that. I've seen patients who yelled at our staff, who threw things at them. There was one situation where they threw blood products. And I think there was a level of disrespect for our staff sometimes where patients smuggled in unapproved medications behind the backs of our doctors. And I'm just so in awe of our staff who kept going in these very difficult circumstances. The pandemic restricted access to patients by their families and by the clergy. How did you provide comfort when you weren't able to see patients and do what you normally have done for the past 22 years. When we weren't able to go, we connected with them in any way we could, by phone, with iPad, sometimes through sliding glass doors. I remember one situation where a patient wanted to be blessed because they were going on comfort care. And the daughter had said that he had relied on his spirituality and faith his whole life. And it would be so important for him to receive a blessing before he dies. 
So I came to the ICU glass door and I asked the nurse who was going in to please tell him that I was here to provide a blessing for him. And he took all the energy that he had and looked up and bowed his head and thanked me for being there. And I made the gestures of a blessing and a prayer. And I prayed for him through the glass door. And he was very attentive and closed his eyes, put his hand on his heart and took in the blessing. And when I was done, he lifted his head again and bowed it one more time and thanked me for the blessing. And I think that was very comforting for him at the end of his life. Thank you for sharing your perspective and what you saw. Jurgen and I are also joined by an amazing second guest, Reverend Lisa Shilby, acute care chaplain at Kaiser Permanente San Francisco Medical Center, who's been with us for 13 years. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here. So, Lisa, one of the things you help patients, family, and our staff with is hearing their stories. What do you think people's stories have to do with finding hope? That's a really good question. And I think it's important to start out defining hope, whether you use Webster's Dictionary or your own version. Hope is about wanting something to happen and believing it is possible. It's about optimism around a desired outcome or expectation and believing it can be achieved and What's wonderful about hope is it can improve our quality of life. It can reduce stress, help us feel happy, give us more motivation as we look to the future. So in respect to storytelling, hope is unique to each individual, just as their stories are unique. And we may have many patients with the same disease, but they all have their own story. And our stories are what give us voice. And it's how we kind of come to understand ourselves, the world around us, help us to connect to the bigger picture and help us to kind of get perspective and meaning, especially to what's happening around us. Stories can empower us. So in the hospital, we find ourselves in the midst of some pretty challenging situations in the storm, if you will. And it can become very difficult to see the bigger picture. We're going through something and we're focused right now on the challenge or the problem. And so I can think of a 70-year-old gentleman during the pandemic. I was asked to go in and see him and he had been given an ileostomy bag and it was going to be permanent. And when I walked into his room and took a seat, the first thing out of his mouth was, my life is over. That's a pretty powerful statement to say and it's a pretty powerful statement to hear, you know, just that sense of hopelessness or helplessness or just feeling like you don't have a future. And so I wanted to hear his story. I wanted to hear the bigger picture. What were those things that brought him joy? What were those ways that he had maybe faced challenges or difficult situations in the past and kind of tie what was happening to him into the larger scheme of his story? Because right now his whole identity was tied to this bag. And he couldn't imagine a life without it. I just, as I was listening to his story, found out that he loved connecting with people and his friends. 
And so I said, I can just tell that that's so important to you. You What is it that draws you to people, to your friends? What are the qualities that you love about them? And he said, well, when they're funny or kind (laughs) or generous. And so I said, how would your friends describe you? He kind of at first got a little taken aback and then finally said, well, what would they say about you? Maybe he was feeling a little self-conscious and I said, well, would they say you were funny or kind? And he's, yeah, funny or kind, intelligent, generous. And I said, so that is what draws people to you. You could just see as he was talking about who he really was on the inside. His demeanor changed. He sat up a little straighter on the bed. The helplessness and the hopelessness started to fade away as he could now begin to imagine his life with the bag, but also with all of these wonderful people in his life surrounding him and being able to continue on being the wonderful, generous, kind, funny person he is. Lisa, you're also a certified grief recovery specialist. Some people would label what we've been through the past two plus years, grief. Is that right? Are we living with grief right now? Well, I believe we are. Maybe not everyone would define it as such for themselves, but I actually love the grief recovery methods definition of grief. It says grief is the normal and natural reaction to loss of any kind. It is the conflicting feelings caused by a change in or an end in a familiar pattern or behavior. And essentially loss is a disruption in any normal pattern of behavior. And we have had a huge disruption to so many normal patterns of behavior in our lives over the last few years. We have had inability to connect with friends or families We've not been able to be present for some major milestones, whether it's a graduation or a wedding or even a celebration of life or to sit with a loved one as they die in a hospital bed. We have had life changes, children being pulled out of schools and parents trying to figure out how do I take care of my child and go to work when I don't have the luxury of childcare. So there's been so many losses, but I would also say there's been personal internal losses, the loss of trust, Mm -hmm. the loss of safety, the loss of self-esteem or confidence. You know, I listen to so many staff to hear so many say, one minute a COVID patient, they're talking or they're walking and the next minute they're dead. I'm doing everything I can. I don't know how to do more. Yeah. And just that sense of loss of What am I doing wrong or who am I in all of this when I'm supposed to save and I can't? So a lot of people went through those type of losses as well. I remember one of the COVID ICUs and they had lost their fifth patient that day. This was before what we have at our fingertips today to help. But those situations of grief at the beginning, then it was the grief of seeing young patients come in who were about to be put on a ventilator, who were asking to be vaccinated. And you're just like, it's too late. And it's just so, so frustrating for the staff. And then what's happened to the economy, there's so many other things going on socially. So Lisa, when you're thinking of grief, does grief pile up? It absolutely does. You can call it compounded grief, or you can you know, look up that and Google that and kind of try to understand maybe how grief and these 
little, sometimes small losses to major losses, if we're not able to maybe process them, talk about them and the feelings that come up around them, they do, they start to pile up and it feels like a weight. We just start to feel bogged down and we can be angry one moment or frustrated or we can find ourselves, you know, maybe a short fuse or we get frustrated more quickly and we don't really understand why. And sometimes it's just taking a step back and just realizing I'm sad. I'm grieving a lot that's happened. So yes, they can definitely build up and compound. Jürgen, I'm going to bring you into the conversation here too, because one of your recommendations is to reach out and connect with the divine. So we have EAP and we have amazing specialists like Lisa too, and we have prayer that can also help. So how have you seen prayer work in this processing of grief? A story comes to mind as you ask about prayer that to me speaks to some of the nuance when we talk about does prayer work. That involved a staff member, one of our regional IT guys, whose wife had given birth to a baby in our NICU. And the baby was not doing well. And Kirsty and Cole, the parents, asked for spiritual support. And that was an after-hours, middle-of-the-night call. And when I arrived, they said to me, we're not really religious, but this is a dire situation and we want to reach out to anything that might help us. Could you say a little blessing or a prayer for our little baby, Christina? And it was a meaningful moment with this name as well, because it was Easter morning. And I went with them to Christina's little bed there, and she was intubated, and the machines were breathing for her. And we gathered around, we held hands, we lifted our hands over little Christina. And I said something along the lines of, Holy One, Thank you so much for being with us and for being with little Christina and with her parents here. We ask that you bless Christina, that you fill her with the breath of life so that she may be able to breathe on her own and get off these machines. It felt like a very sacred moment. And then we heard this bustling and the EMTs came in and whisked Christina away to a higher level NICU. I gave them my card and... A few weeks later, I heard back from Cole, our IT guy, and he said, thank you so much for coming in the middle of the night and saying this blessing for Christina. She is better now. And for what it's worth, for me, it seemed to change after you had said the blessing. And what they did was because they felt this power in the blessing, they wrote it down or some similar words on a piece of paper and posted it above Christina's bed and asked the nurses to read that blessing to Christina daily. And to me, that speaks to the power of integration of good medicine and prayer and blessing. I think at Kaiser Permanente, we do both. We have excellent clinical care and we offer this spiritual support as well. You mentioned that these parents were not that religious, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of back, Lisa, that connection back to hope. You know, we're calling on everybody for this one. Right. So what do you say to team members maybe that are not that religious? Do you have a suggestion for them when they're searching for hope, maybe a small prayer or something they can do? What would what advice? We use the language that is most meaningful to whoever we serve. That could be religious language, that could be generally spiritual language, or that could be secular language. 
I think all human beings, by nature of being human, we seek meaning and purpose. And it's expressed in different languages. One way in which we do that is sending out thoughts for the day for our staff. We started doing that at the beginning of the pandemic, and I think we've sent out close to 600 thoughts of the day. They're little quotes, not religious, generally spiritual, or just some value that's being expressed, and a little reflection from the chaplain. And one physician said, I delete so many of my emails, but this one I always open. And one person who's an administrative support she said, whenever I get this thought for the day, it's like being on a long road trip and taking a 10-minute break to rest my eyes, which helps me to keep going. So we offer various events like this. We offer tea for the soul where we go around and you know offer tea and cookies and a quote as well for our staff or healing hands. I think there's a lot of spiritual power, even in secular language. It's about value, it's about soul, it's about connection, it's about being seen as a human being from the heart. I love that. And Lisa, you're part of a team of 50 spiritual care professionals in Kaiser Permanente. You've said people need a way to normalize the feelings of grief and what people are going through. Why would you say that's important? Recovery is finding new meaning and recovery is knowing that it's okay to be sad. It's okay to have any emotion because there really is no wrong or right way to feel. You know, I talked about the uniqueness of hope, the uniqueness of someone's story, how we approach things and how we respond to what's happened to us is unique. And so are our emotions. With that being said, it's also important that we understand why do we feel as we do so that we can move forward? And it's important to validate people's feelings. I talked to a gentleman, a patient yesterday that says, I'm just so angry and I feel like I need to let go of anger. And he wants to finish pharmacy school. And I said, how do you want to use your anger to motivate you to achieve your goals? And not just with healing, but with his professional goals. And he was able to kind of, once again, that whole countenance changes of, oh, this is an okay emotion to have. So kind of normalizing people's emotions and letting people know it's okay to feel how you feel. And we may all approach something differently and respond differently. And that's okay too. And so just to acknowledge this and not to downplay our emotions if we're feeling sad or scared, not to compare ourselves to others who might be hopeful, who might come from a space of gratitude. There's room for every emotion and there's room for every feeling. So I end each of these podcast episodes asking the same question of all of our guests. What one piece of advice would you give our team to heal? and to rebound from the past two plus years. So Lisa, I'm going to go to you first on this one. I'm on a group that does short rounds and we're talking about how do we deal with this exhaustion or burnout or compassion fatigue? And they say it's kind of reconnecting or finding your why. Why did I get into this in the first place? What's my purpose? Why am I doing this? What brought me here? But I would say in addition to finding your why, find your joy. What are those things or those people and activities in your life that bring a smile to your face, that energize you, that motivate you, or that calm you? 
and give you a sense of grounding and peace, do more of that. Jürgen, what would you say? What comes to mind for me is human connection and belonging. I think we have human connection and belonging at home, but to recover at work, to find healing while we keep battling during this time of virus, to find human connection with each other, with our patients, to become family with each other to some degree. So I encourage our leaders and managers, connect with your staff. Person first, task second. And I think when our staff feel that human connection and belonging, it will transmit to their care of patients. And I think it'll make the work of our staff more joyful as well. What a wonderful conversation. I want to thank Jürgen Schwing, Director of Spiritual Care at Kaiser Permanente's Diablo Service Area, and Lisa Shilby, Acute Care Chaplain at Kaiser Permanente's San Francisco Medical Center. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for creating this space today for us to share stories. And hopefully we were able to not only feel hope, but give it away as well. This podcast is one of the many resources we're sharing with all of you at Kaiser Permanente and beyond to support your well-being. You can find additional resources for physical health tools to mental health support, how to thrive at work, which is what we talked about today. It's on HR Connect, newly available and hopefully a little bit easier for people to find under benefits and well-being under mental health. We have introduced a new program called Live Well and Thrive to shine a light on and make it easy to find the many resources available to support our employees' recovery, resiliency, and ability to live well and thrive moving forward. Another benefit we offer our many KP employees who are also members is the Calm app, which helps you with sleep and meditation. And you can listen back to episode one, our first podcast with Chris Mosnick, who is the chief clinical officer at Calm. It was just a fun conversation. I hope you can look back on that as well. I'd like you to know what's on my mind. I want to know what's on your mind. Share your thoughts, ask a question, or suggest a podcast topic like this one, which was a good suggestion that also came forward from all of you. You can do it in writing or a short audio clip. You can send it to livewellandthrive at kp.org. And you never know, we may use your comment or audio snippet in an upcoming episode. I'd like to thank you, our listener, for tuning into Live Well and Thrive, a podcast recognizing the amazing talent, the hard work, the dedication and the diversity of our team at Kaiser Permanente. I'm Carrie Owen Pleats, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much. <laughs>